I'm Leslie Betts, your host tonight for the world premiere of Thomas G. Devine's Madawaska, a closet drama written in verse and published in 1912. To perform the show, we have with us three seasoned members of the Opiongo Readers Theatre, Lynn Stewart and Brian and Carol Peterson. But before we get underway, a few essential facts about the work and the poet Thomas Godfrey Devine. He was born in Renfrew in 1873 and belonged to a prominent family of merchants, politicians, and clergy. After graduating high school, he left in his late teens for New York and then Kansas City, where he worked for the Columbia Gramophone Company as a traveling salesman. Early in the 1930s, he returned to Renfrew as a correspondent for the Ottawa Journal. And though many of you know his most famous work, On the Opiongo Line, Devine also published countless occasional poems throughout the United States and Canada, many appearing in large urban newspapers such as the Kansas City Star. His only known book of poetry was published in Boston in 1912, and it is the reason we are here tonight. It is not an easy work to perform. It is full of the macabre and the mystical and requires a quick wit to fully understand. The sort of poetry made famous by Edgar Allan Poe. But instead of writing about some horrific American fantasy, Thomas G. Devine wrote about something much closer to home, the Madawaska River, albeit in a way few of us perhaps ever think of it. And he wrote with both passion and knowing. It is a work written by someone who definitely once walked along the mighty roar of its white water that pours down from Algonquin Park and empties at Armprior into the Ottawa. So with no further delay, let Mr. Devine set the scene with a short introduction of Madawaska that might give you a hint as to what may be coming your way. Hills of my homeland, panoramic thought you hold for him who gazes, be the day wintry, or dark with sullen showers fraught, or bright and beautiful. In fine display revealed, your treasures speak on either hand. Crag, peak and precipice, and frowning bluff, and tufted summit make a temple grand whereon romance is chiseled in the rough, and solemn-visaged tragedy sad-eyed, and dimpled comedy, a wealth untold of matchless wonders ever multiplied for squire and knight of poesy, young and old. When fitful inspiration hides her face, and eager fingers may not longer trace. Doubtless, ye have forgotten long ago the forest tales ye shaped to while away a wan lad's weary hours, when, half in snow and buffeted by icy winds, ye lay, while he, from out a cabin's frozen pane, with wistful eye beheld and longed to be impervious to wind and snow and rain, begotten to the wildlife of the free but he remembers and doth cherish still. And this his prayer is, in the halls of song, may there be someone worthy found to fill the books of beauty that to you belong, some fervid singer, fearless, strong and true, blood red of heart and eyed to eagle view. And with that under our belts, we begin Madawaska, part one. Blinking high, the owl sat, Flew the night hawk, rising, falling, in the moonlit heavens calling. Flitted through the wood, the bat, eerily and drearily, 
When rang Opiongo's cry, Call the forest, ye that fly. Came the lean, lank, gray wolf howling, Came the black bear prowling, growling, Came the mole and the raccoon In the long ray of the moon, Tardily and heartily. Came the lynx, ferocious, Hying from the mountains, crying, Eyeing everything that crossed his path With his great green eyes of wrath, Fireful and ireful. Came the wily fox and cunning, Came the fleet deer running, Shunning tangled growth and sodden log, Came the woodchuck and the hog, whistling and bristling. Came the nimble weasel, creeping. Came the squirrel, leaping, keeping to the treetops. Came the monk. Came the rabbit and the skunk, friskingly and whiskingly. Came the flat-tailed beaver, stealing. Came the sly mink, squealing, wheeling. Came the otter, sleek and fat. Came the marten and the rat, airily and warily. Came the eagle, soaring, sailing. Came the wild goose, railing, wailing. Came the loon, the duck and hen from the dank grass of the fen, flappingly and clappingly. Came the partridge, whirring, drumming. Came the pigeon, thrumming, humming. Came the crow with measured wing. Came each lesser feathered thing, chattering and clattering. Came at Opiongo's call, knowing not the why nor wherefore. Knowing she was mistress, therefore came they to her, great and small, furious and curious. And, as shadowy, they broke her white shoreline. Thus she spoke. Children of the rocky highland, children of the lowland foggy, children of the wooded dryland, children of the swamp ground boggy, ye with ears that ever listen, Ye with nostrils ever scenting, ye with eyes that never glisten, ye with red fangs unrelenting, ye with noisy wing and speedy, ye that kill not for your eating, ye with belly ever greedy, children of the forest, greeting. Like the murmur of the sky, indistinct at first, and clearer as it rolls and rumbles nearer, through the still night rang their cry, hailingly and wailingly. And when shore had answered shore, Opiongo spoke once more. Children, ye have called me mother, and as such your fathers knew me, and their fathers had no other. Children, I have called you to me. This to tell you, in my sleeping I have smelt and seen a creature. Neither flying, neither creeping, strange was he of limb and feature. Like the black bear angered, standing, crafty as the fox and wary. Like the hungry wolf pack, banding, neither feathered, neither hairy. Coming from the south, I saw him dealing death to all about him. And your fiercest could not awe him, and your strongest could not rout him. And ye fled before him, thinking that afar he would not follow. But afar there was no drinking, save the rain pool of the hollow. And the sun beat hot and hotter, and the rain cloud came not bursting, till at length there was 
no water, and ye died afar off, thirsting. Children, have ye heard my story? Who among you sensed the danger? Who among you, sage and hoary, sees the shadow of the stranger? Half in fear they crouching lay, half in wonder at her staring. Silent, till with eyeballs glaring, out there strode a dog-wolf gray, gauntily and jauntily. O'er the group his eye he ran, he shook himself, and then began. O Piongo, mother, hear me. When the last sun was slanting toward the west, and I drew near thee, also came a staga panting. Him the wolf pack long had known as a leader sage and fearless. I he, I, he was not fully grown till they held him to be peerless. And each she-wolf eased the bitter agonizing pains of whelping by the thought that in her litter one like him might soon be yelping. And the young dogs aped him playing, thinking they might yet replace him. And the elders, apt at saying evil of him, dare not face him. As the puddle of the shower is to thee, so I beside him held myself, until the hour that we drank, and I espied him in thy bosom with me seeming. There my limbs were stouter, longer, and my teeth the whiter gleaming, and I seemed indeed the stronger. So I stood in wonder gazing, to as much as breathe, scarce daring, till his watchful eyes upraising read the meaning of my staring. When at once he ceased his lapping, wheeled and sprang upon me scowling, yet he did not catch me napping, for I fled before him howling. But I ran as one half worried, and he quickly overtook me, and I have felt his teeth deep buried in my neck, but when he shook me, back my strength came. From him breaking, up I sprang and madly fought him, over, under, ever making for his throat. At last I caught him. Hard and fast he struggled vainly, trying to escape my choking, but I held him until plainly life had left his nostrils smoking. Suddenly there came a feeling, as of slumber over me creeping, and my head grew dizzy, reeling. Then I fell across him, sleeping. When I woke, I smelt the black bear, and I missed a stag hoary, but I saw a bloody track where late had passed a carcass gory, and I knew the bear had stolen dear Astaga to his hollow, though my limbs were sore and swollen, him I straight away vowed to follow. Now the red sun has departed, and the early dew was falling, and I rose and would have started when I heard the night birds calling. And instead I came unto thee, thus far I have spoken, mother, that the pack and all who knew me as a plain dog, common brother, might not wonder at my speaking when you call the sage and hoary. Now I turn to you the seeking, making answer, not for glory. You have dreamed, O mother, dreaming. I have heard the fat stag rutting. I have licked the hot blood steaming, licked and lapped until it's glutting. Was my hunger not the keener when I wakened from my dreaming? Was my shadow not the leaner when the morning sun came beaming? 
Round the dog wolf turned, and back went he to his wolfish brothers. Some applauding, a few others would be leaders of the pack, mumbling and grumbling. From a limb where he reclined, loud the lynx, Nanimo whined. Opiango, by the white ray of the moon last night, no rabbit. And again through all the bright day, fasting is of mine no habit. I would much prefer to wander through a swamp with rabbit teeming than to sit tonight and ponder on this creature of your dreaming. He at best is of tomorrow, and I might not live to sight him. Wherefore should I trouble borrow? Wherefore should I plan to fight him? For the thanks of future ages, little good indeed twill do me, dead to rank among the sages. If in life my belly knew me only as a skillful reader of the starry signs of wonder, better to have been a feeder hearty and a son of plunder. Here an outcry stilled the cat. Mandor, 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 cried the rear ones. Mandor, answered back the near ones, as a great black bear and fat, swaggering and staggering, gruffly through them poked his way to the water's edge to say, Mother of the forest, greeting, brothers, greeting, hear me hearken of the mountain berries eating, just before the heavens darken, was I when I heard a groaning, as of one in anguish dying, and I found a stag moaning, and across him, Olin lying. We were friends in sunny weather and in cloudy, brothers nearly. Whelp and cub, we grew together, and I loved to stagger dearly. Therefore, when I found him dying, I tore Olin from him madly, and licked my own friend, trying to arouse him, calling sadly. Presently he woke and knew me. Brun, he called thus in laughter, said he, that we hither drew whispers now of the hereafter. Go to Opiongo dreaming, and the forest children frightened. I have seen the straight eye gleaming, and the bones of many whitened. There will come to be your master, and to slay and wound and banish. One unlike you, fast and faster, from your haunts ye will vanish. From the mother separated, you must die for lack of water. But the mother shall be mated, and shall bear you a daughter. And the latter, winding, flowing, through the forest will go racing, you to welcome coming, going, from the dread forever chasing. But upon your deeds depending, only will the mother bear her, as your lives with virtual bending make the lives of others fairer. This Astaga told me dying, and he died, and him I buried. And I heard the night birds crying, and to you straightway hurried. Mandor spoke and bowed his head, all his bearing giving token of a sorrow great, unspoken sorrow for a staggered dead, evermore and nevermore. Opiango spoke, rejoiced, faith and hope and counsel voiced. Children, now is fear departed, Now are gone both doubt and sorrow. Now no longer heavy-hearted. Shall I greet the coming morrow? Now a wondrous longing fills me. Now I know a nameless yearning. Now a joy unthought of thrills me. Now with love my heart is burning. Go, my children, 
Go and going with my blessing are ye laden. Go in goodness ever growing. Go beget the saving maiden. Go and do the deeds that chasten. Live great lives, nor be despairing. Go, my children, go and hasten Opiango's promised bearing. Silently they went their way, Opiango's words imbuing each, and each in fancy doing deeds to speed the natal day, dutiful and beautiful. Opiango round her drew mist and moon and dreamed anew. Now that was interesting. I wonder what will happen next. Let's find out as we launch into part two. Of the creatures of the wood, flying high and lowly crawling, gentle-browed and fierce appalling, fate, all in her own time good, smilingly, beguilingly, chose the beaver tribe benign to accomplish her design. Zig, the beaver, loved to lie listening to the swaying pines, loved to watch the starlit sky, wonder reading in its lines, loved to wander from the throng, planning triumphs great and grand for the magic of his song when the time should come to hand. I will join the winds at play till their cadences I catch. I will follow far the bay of the storm till I match its deeper grandeur and the wail of love forgot, forever lost. I will master in the scale of the hemlock storm-tossed and the silver stars among I wander near and far, in fame of one unsung, more of shadow than of star. I will sing a tune, and time shall not weary of my song, as the melody and rhyme pass from age to age along. Crying wish, he gave his heart to the piecing of a dream, toiling day and night apart, building to a lofty theme. Years and years passed, and the gray of a spring dawn breaking fine found him working on the lay. All it needed was a line, but though he had toiled and toiled for a year or more with it, all his genius it had foiled, rhyme and reason would not fit. And he went, and climbing nigh unto Opiongo stood, looking hard upon the sky for a sign or omen good. But the heavens gave no sign. So when day had followed day, Slowly down the steep incline, in despair, he picked his way. I will eat, and I will sleep. Nature wore a merry eye when she bade me finally keep in the hilltops of the sky. But his mate came up and said, Zig, I bring thy get to thee. Bad of heart and hard of head, he will give no heed to me. And at once outsprang his son, dragging an uprooted tree, yet in verdure. Willful one, bravo, Zig cried joyously. In thee I behold the line that will make my song complete, even as the leaf, the vine. I am hungry, let us eat. And when night dropped down serene over Opiongo high dark, a cloudy speck was seen standing out against the sky. With the cloudy speck began Opiongo's blessed conceiving, ended all her doubting, grieving at the coming dread of man, masterful, disasterful, and into her smile there crept love maternal as she slept. As in the sun her home before, the beaver, Lata, moaning lay. She marked the cloud, and when she bore a litter large, she blessed the day. But pup by pup they died, 
until one son alone was left to her. Then said she, Son, be thine to fill the void they make. She stroked his fur, and further said, Yon cloud I know beginning is of good to be. Some day thy deeds will make it grow, for never yet was sun like thee. One dawn she woke. He was not there, curled up in slumber at her side. All day she sought him everywhere. At night he came to her and cried, O mother mine, at dawn I heard a ringing call among the hills, as when some stranger, flightless bird, weary ring, ring, wing weary, stays its fright and thrills. I pricked my ears, alert and keen. I listened to the echo die, but every throat of bird unseen gave utterance to such a cry. Again I heard it, and again, clear falling on the morning air, and I forgot thee there and then, and rose to follow anywhere. Out in the open of the wood, I saw my brothers gathered all. The cry, ah, then I understood, it was the beaver battle call. And as I looked, I seemed to see the storied heroes of the past, arrayed in might and majesty, in other shapes and forms cast. Old tales were told, old songs were sung, and pledges passed to do or die, till tongue found echo deep in tongue, and eye struck kindred spark in eye. And scarcely knowing what I did, I joined the throng and marched away, light-hearted as a youngster bid, a scampering to merry play. We crossed the hills, the foe we found, prepared to meet us in the sun. We fought him, but he held his ground, due to mighty strength of one. They called him Reynold, and he fought as Fruger in the olden tale. Such havoc everywhere he wrought, that bravery itself did quail. Big as half-grown whelp and quick, as any lynx, he held a hill, the ground around him strewn thick, with dead and dying, all his kill. Again we charge, again retreat. We circle, separate, and fight, but all our plans end in defeat, each time because of Reynolds' might. We hold a council and decide to charge again, and in the fray that six of us shall slyly hide among the dead in Reynolds' way. Then when the chance presents, leap out, and with the others bear him down, and put the hated foe to rout, and win a well-deserved renown. This did we, and, O mother, I was first to seize the great brown throat, was first to catch the smothered cry, and first to tear the blood-stained coat. Think you, mother, that yon sign has grown through my deed? It seems to larger be. Oh, son of mine, fond offspring of my cherished dreams. Well, have you done and bravely fought as well becomes your sire's son? But tell me, tell me, is there not a pity in the deeds you've done? For sure is the sign to grow that hangs or opiongo still. By act of mercy, than by blow that only aims to maim or kill. And if great fighting drew the grace that makes the cloud to grow and grow, then Reynold must be given place. 
although defeated, and lay low. Oh, mother, in the heat of fray, I neither thought to spare nor kill, but only to achieve the day, as in a game of strength and skill. And yet, in thinking of the fight, I now recall one act, but one. So small I had forgotten quite. One act, an act of pity done. Twas when the foe defeated fled, and chasing on and on we swept, I chanced upon a beaver dead. Snug at her side, a puppy slept. I stopped to kill, but thoughts of thee withheld me, and away I sped. O mother, it can hardly be, though this design grows overhead. Grew the magic cloud apace till it seemed a fragment torn, and in clear skies tossed forlorn from the heaven's angered face, lowering and glowering. Though she neither saw nor heard, conscious, Opiongo stirred. Star by star, night hid her treasures. As she laid each gem away, some wild thing in treble measures woke to usher in the day till a lone star was left gleaming. As it faded in the sky, from the beaver village dreaming, rose Tamarnock's boastful cry. Bold art thou, O star declining, thus to linger till the light of my daughter's white soul shining through her eyes dispels the night. When thy sisters without number and their queen the moon so chaste, ere she wakes from out her slumber to their waning speed in haste. Quick, O star, she wakes. Good morrow, little daughter. Why those tears? Has some phantom thing of sorrow crossed thy dream of girlhood years? It is nothing. Kiss me. There now. Things are as they ought to be. I must hasten yonder, where now stern duty beckons me. And Tabarnock left her going to the bound where daily he sat in judgment, haughty, knowing he and his from taint were free. But no culprit waited, quaking, so he hied him to the shade where he dozed for hours, waking startled at the outcry made by a beaver wild with terror in the woods beyond. And lo, one was brought who, of her error, seemed ashamed that they should know. For her head was thickly covered with the broad leaves of a tree, which her pride had deftly hovered to a mask, and sobbing she stood, the while to her dishonor they bore witness, telling how, unawares, they came upon her with a lover. Even now, cold he lies, that one. He fought us while she fled, her face unseen, cloud-priest lore, who brought us, as you see, the wench in green. And thus, thus to take her, and, and to, to pray, pray you in his name, name not, not to question her or make her lift the leaves that hid her shame till he come. Tamarnock, knowing if he granted Lor's request, they would say that it was owing to their kinship making jest, was intent upon unmasking the fair culprit all the more, as he felt that in the asking, Lor would cover his own sore. Priest and judge were kinsmen, nearer, since each had a daughter fair of an age who friends were, dearer than two sisters. And the pair were so matched that one was taken for the other oftentime, and to Barnock's trust unshaken and his confidence sublime. 
Rudely shocked were at the mention of Lor's name and at the sight of the maid who claimed attention. For he fancied in the slight shrinking lass before him weeping, he beheld Lor's daughter sweet. And he thought the priest, in keeping her thus hidden, fain would cheat stalking gossip of its quarry. But he also thought he saw in her plight so strange and sorry, chance to glorify the law which was most to him. He ordered them to strip her, when a cry in the shrubbery that bordered on the court ground drew each eye from the maid, and Laura Peering claimed their notice. How is this? shouted he once in the clearing. I but gave you to one miss. At his words they turned, beholding that where one had been were two. Hidden by the leaves and folding head and features, and they knew Lore had tricked them, but by reason of the fact that priest was he, they could not denounce his treason or chastise his perfidy. And perplexed, they stood awaiting what Tamarnock had to say. He, in angry voice vibrating, thundered, Tear the leaves away, and the guilty one discover by her eyes, and let her be who she may, as with her lover, so with her. At his decree, stripped the maids were, Lore protesting. It will do no good, for the leaves are weeds investing. All they touch will swelling red. Which was true. The masks concealing heads, so swollen as to be sightless things of red, revealing nothing of identity. And to Marnock's ire growing, he commanded. Make them speak, using pain if need be. Showing what we seem in vain to seek. Roughly seizing one, they urged her, but without avail, to say who she was. They would have scourged her with their tails when Lore cried, Stay, wait a while. Perhaps the swelling will go down and you may know. But Tamarnock stopped him, telling them to beat her, while the blow, first to fall, was yet descending. Hold! Her guilt is plain, else the other bravely bending... To your will would save her pain. Turn her, he added. Quitting one, they to the other went, whereupon her guilt admitting, she they left. By anguish rent cried out, Spare her, she is blameless. She Lor's daughter is, and I am Tamarnuk's, henceforth nameless. Honor her, and let me die. Die, they cried out, towards her making willing, eager to attack. While she stood there quailing, quaking, but Tamarnock waved them back. Long before your law appointed me your judge, her cry stirred the forest and anointed me her father. And shall I fail her now? Your law permits me her to pardon or condemn, and I pardon, which unfits me to be longer judge. The stem of a flower here is breaking. There a pining bud would die. Here a songbird's heart is aching. There a wounded butterfly flutters vainly. We will cherish such as these and love them so. Making all things drooping flourish. Little daughter, come, we go. And they went and Lore uplifted at the altar of the cloud, later turned to where it drifted suddenly and prayed aloud, Gracious cloud, not unavailing, is my sacrifice to thee. In thy spreading, 
signs unfailing of thy pleasures I can see. Like a monster bird of prey over Opiongo gloating, hung the great cloud, somber, floating, shutting out the light of day moodily and brutally. Opiongo, wakeful now, watched and waited, hot of brow. In search of nook or corner of the wood where others prowled not, neither thought to stray. The beaver, who knows, on a bright day stood and watched the sunbeams through a maple play. A thousand merry dancers to the pipe of happiness. He mused, and later when from out a patch of strawberries, red ripe, a cricket sang, he cried, Sweet grace, amen. And later still, a cedar, in old age low fallen, caused him to exclaim, No sound, lest yonder dozing giant wake in rage. And when, at last, a likely spot he found, a place where flowers patterned the green until it seemed a carpet, violet, hepatica, an orchid in between, with overhead a canopy, where met cherry and plum in blossom pink and white. Here will I wait her coming sweet, of whom whose dreams I've been, my heart's delight, fairest of all the wood, the rainbow-eyed, whose profile beautiful revealed I have seen, so long and yonder, sober cloud severe, and she will come to me my own, my queen, some day I know, and I will wait her here. While yet he spoke, a beaver rustled out, who made as if to pass, unheard, unseen. But who knows quickly put her plan to rout, for seeing her he cried, I did not mean at all, sweet one, to frighten you away. The spot being pretty caught my passing eye, and I will go, and that in peace you may stay. To which C, smiling, made him soft reply, My home is yonder, I may come at will, whereas I judge you strange. She took to flight, while all in wonderment he watched, until she mingled with the woods and passed from sight. Who knows? A rich voice fell upon his ear. He turned, and in a clump of fern espied a beaver, whereupon he cried, You hear, Naren? And why not, who knows? You scarcely think I followed in your path? Naren leads others. Never is she led. Why, I, she looked at him, assuming wrath. My, how you frightened me, Naren. Who knows? Come here a bit. What is the matter, dear? Are you unwell? Something is wrong with you. I've noticed it these many days, and I would break the spell. Why did you leave me? Is your great love dead? Or is there someone whom you deem more fair? I was unhappy and fled, hoping to find a lasting peace elsewhere. Peace? Peace. Peace becomes the dull. The clever need excitement, else they die. He did not answer her, and in the lull, the nook just but vacated caught her eye. Who knows? I am delighted. Look, how sweet. Let us explore it. But he shook his head. I've known a snake to lurk in there, like a retreat, a mossy bank of flowers for its bed. Whereat she laughed, and gliding past him, stopped close to the entrance, picking from the ground a flower white, which something late had dropped near dainty tracks, new made. Aha! I have found your rogueship out. What kind of dame is your new fancy, who knows? Dark or fair? A fighter for her virtue, or a tame young thing? Naren, have a care, 
at least be loyal to the sex you own, and kindly think of one you do not know. Ah, a silly speech, and the tone quite ill-bred. Rather say, ne'er and dear go, and I will follow later. And the more appreciate the charm of an art that does not make a comradeship a bore, and alternates between the head and heart. Be gracious, who knows do, and show me through your trysting place secure. Else will I enter all alone and gone, I may return no more, caught in the lure of beauty. Go not in, Aaron. The place is sacred. Sacred, you say? She questioned in high anger. I have tried to bear with you, but you grow worse and may. For aught I know, your mother next parade. My friends have told me long I was a fool. To think so of you, I, who might have made of anyone and everyone a tool. But now I know, and I will leave you here. Which said she turned and slowly walked away, the while he watched her, in his eye a tear. Aaron. He called out ere she vanished. Stay. She heeded not. He followed her and said, Aaron, I moaned it ere we end the play. You gave me nothing, but you took instead, mocking and scoffing in your clever way, and all the while within my head I held rebellious hatred for your staying straight, and I saw it often, as often quelled the threatened outbreak, waving in your might, the wand of jealousy, lust, far, far beyond, barred up in the keep of witness, but all not all gone, for she's surely lacking who has pawned her greatest treasure, virtue. You may call this damsel stupid and that other dull, but if they've wit enough to pure remain, then they are not, after all, so thick of skull, nor yet so wanting in essential brain. Enough! Being witless, it will take me half forever to digest your speech. We played for nothing, and you win the stake. Go take it, who knows, and no longer preach. Again she left him, little caring where she wandered on. At length, in agony, she flung her down, and sobbing in despair, the beaver of the flower found her. She in pity asked her, Have you suffered hurt that you should cry so? In her grief, Naren cried shortly, No! At which rejoined her curt, the other stood abashed, then ventured, Can I not of service be in some small way? I live nearby, and I will care for you till you recover. Touched, Naren cried, Pray, forgive my rudeness, nothing can you do, unless it be to hurry up the friend of broken hearts, forgetfulness. And yet, were she to come, you'd send her back again, a beggar. Ere you'd let some things forever slip the fair domain of memory sweet. You show discernment one is little apt to gain from others. Yet are you so young, I know. Experience ne'er took you to her knee. All know I caught from haunchback lips that often speak to me. How strange! And just now I sought a little shape misformed. I once saw whose mother bore him for her joy alone. 
With never thought of blemish or of flaw, she planned to have him for her very own, not even telling him who did beget, but thinking to surprise him some fair day. Alas, deformed was the looked-for pet, and all in hate the mother turned away and left him helpless. Now she wants him back. And where to look for him she does not know, unless perchance you put me on his track. Forever to and fro my little friend is. Hark, I hear his song. And that's his laugh. He comes and you shall see the whole wood brighten as he limps along. Farewell, I leave you to his drollery. Blew the wind a hurricane. Lightning flashed and roared the thunder. And the great cloud rent asunder in a torrent belched the rain, crashingly and flashingly. Day and night and night and day, Opiongo tossing lay. Within the hearing of a quarrelsome pair, the ill-shaped beaver, Corrit, sang. And with his words and merry air, their ears forever after rang. Male and female, born are we, war declared between, truce betwixt, if truce there be, Binds the king and binds the queen, male and female, if you please. Love is not an hour of ease. Husband of one wife for shame, that you can't agree. So doth please his every dame, sixty-five and hundreds three. Coward, that's a little strife in the balance due to life. Wife that cannot command one mate, yet hath charms to lend. Look upon the moon in state, millions at her back attend. Folly makes a fool day, get you gone. She comes your way. A bully loosed his thick-lipped jaws to curse an awkward beaver in the sight of his young son, but Corrit's verse restrained him, and he closed them tight. Here is a shrub that thinks the golden sun hangs in the scrubby parent tree overhead. Blow softly, wind, or else, alas, undone, illusion passes with relentless tread. From out a heart that fact may enter in, cold, pitiless, merciless, ne'er to leave, and gloomily sorrow, dark and loathsome sin, may seek shelter and there abide to grieve. Better the lips of nature sealed remain, than parting they should send thee forth to do a vile thing, sweet mountain high and plain, but whisper, O wind, I caution you. A beaver, shirking motherhood, made vow to self-forget and mother be when Corrit paused to gravely bow before a perfumed, fruitless tree. O thing apart, nor he, nor she, who shall say what thou art, object of mystery? Creative might, the gift supreme, alone thou darest sight, marring the perfect dream he dreamed, and rolled the planets round, and who doth now behold, with shaded eyes profound, the oddity, O oh, vast regret, trait thine, peculiarly, like never can beget. From all his kind away, despairing, stole a sickly beaver, but he heard Karat's bold challenge from a knoll, and in his heart the lifeblood stirred. Come forth and fight, come forth and fight, O oh, tyrant nature, let us see if you esteemed my worth and might when out of sorts you fashioned me. O fool, you only shaped the clay. Who animated, made the spark, to compensate, and so I say, 
come forth and fight from dawn to dark. And all night long, nor will I cease to hurl my challenge. Forth and fight, till my good mother, death cries, peace, and kisses me and croons, good night. To one who would between two lovers choose, and who yet not knew which to wed, such counsel came from Corot's muse that choice fell on a third instead. Life is come, and death is go. Love is give and take, now a kiss and now a blow, now a thrill and ache. Mate the heart is what we do, and forget the mind, which is folly, says it too, cleaves unto its kind. Wed the one whose thought you know, you can make your own, else just simply come and go, leaving love alone. In the last watch of the night, where the pines are ever tossing, ever interlacing, crossing, by the pale moon's silver light, simmering and glimmering, Opiongo bore her daughter, Madawaska, hidden water. And so, we come to the final act of Thomas G. Devine's Madawaska, when all will become clear, we hope. From blue Opiongo down flew the crow, Barango, croaking, bird and beast alike provoking, to where Calabogie town, hazily and lazily, stands today, a pit, then deep, home of them that crawl and creep. Out of Opiongo flowing, sparkling in the sunlight, growing thoughtful in the shadows, gliding through the level stretches, hiding in the pine-lined passes, foaming o'er the rocky places, roaming hither, thither, this way, that way, Madawaska makes a pathway. Lo, as echoed, echo dying, now her song is. Now the sighing of the wind at night refraintive, then her sobbing is less plaintive. And again, like thunder deadened, dully hoarse her anger leadened, smites the ear and fore and after, rings the ripple of her laughter. Flowers beckon to her praying, little sister, leave us playing. Overhanging saplings, lispers sigh to her in lovesick whispers. While the white pines o'er her tower, primping, pluming, by the hour, as they see their lines deflected, in her waters deep reflected. And the songbirds do their tuning to her humming and her crooning. But she has no heart, I know it. And mark me, some day she'll show it. She but plays and weary later, she will kill the creature hater. Soon her splash will sound above you. Therefore, come I, I that love you, to beseech you take to shelter. Ere she drives you, helter-skelter. Puffed Barango needs must pause, wings extended half and flapping, snake and toad and lizard snapping, watching him with gaping jaws, motionless and notionless. Suddenly, a snaky head found its tongue and swaying said, O Barango, why this chatter? To thee, crow, how can it matter? What befalls the sandy brune? Flesh and feathers art thou truly? I have seen thee split a lizard, wet thy beak and slash a gizzard. Go to sleep and waking cackle, 
prayerfully, but called to tackle, office of a benefactor, I had thought beyond the actor. Back and forth, all they thee flying, thou hast seen the great hole lying, high above us, and as surely, dost thou know, walked in securely? Water in its depths must tarry, yet thou comest here to harry with the story of destruction. What, my friends, is the deduction? Down the snake in silence sank, his harangue being taken coldly, while Barango, strutting boldly, like an orator of rank, gratified, self-satisfied, cocked his head and twanged his beak, and again essayed to speak. Worthy fellow of the gutter, if to fret and fume and sputter does thee good, go to it. Only choose some spot deserted, lonely, where the plaudits justly do you, cannot but be rendered to you. I have seen the whole you mention, guessed its powers of retention. But my knowledge does not end there, for I know a spot, my friend, where once let Madawaska enter. And there's nothing can prevent her boring through, and overpouring she will tumble, madly roaring, filling, flooding, hole and burrow, leveling trace and track and furrow, sweeping all before her, making for the lower lands and taking you and yours, a living dower to that savage lord of power. Ottawa, at arm prior waiting, eager for their hour of mating. As the spot is now a layer of a slaty clay will stay her. But let something pierce it, scraping, and there can be no escaping. Opiango's siren daughter bent on injury and slaughter. Now, my friends, there is abiding here among you, someone hiding, a young turtle. Late I caught her by this Ottawa, and brought her here to crack her shell by dropping on yon rock. Alas, in flopping, she but grazed the rock and crept in. Underneath it, found safekeeping. When Barango's ma would sample turtle flesh, say for example, all the dainties in creation make no satisfying ration. If said turtle flesh be lacking, and Barango's peace attacking, loud his ma will clamor, calling ceaselessly for turtle crawling, till his dreams are visions fitful of big turtles by the pitfall. Thus it is and has been lately with Barango. It is greatly in his favor. So I take it that it rests with you to make it possible for him to render to his maw the turtle tender that is here among you hidden, valueless, a guest unbidden, and the fact that you are giving what is his by law of living will not make him the less grateful in the day approaching fateful.
Once again, Barango's pause was the signal for the swaying of the snake, again displaying mistrust of him and his cause, dramatically, fanatically. Slow, he swung from side to side, hissingly and beady-eyed. Brothers, brothers, be not blind. Cursed is he who sells his kind. Let Barango ask the wing of some fluffy, feathered thing. But let not the crawling breed barter crawler to his greed. Shameful, shameful it would be, and besides, what guarantee does he give us that will say he will go away to stay? He would have us live in fear, day and week and month and year, dreaming of the ever of the dread he has pictured overhead. What is all this talk profound of a spot that he has found? Through which water may not go? And indeed, pray, can he know what the surface will withstand, what the underlying sand? Brothers, brothers, can't you see? It is all crow trickery. Ere the snake could venture more, or Barango answer croaking, spoke the turtle bravely poking forth her head and bending o'er, stoically, heroically, the high bank meant to enthrall Madawaska like a wall. Hold, my friends. And straightway falling, I will tumble from here, sprawling. Mindful of the crow's petition, freely of my own volition will I tumble. Meanwhile waiting, hear me if you will, debating where the truth lies. Be not livid at Barango's picture vivid. There is no cause for alarm. Madawaska will not harm anything, but like a mother, like a sister or a brother, kind, forgiving, cheerful ever, Harsh and cruel, never, never. She will bring you blessings many, doing evil never any. I can hear her now fast rising back of me and realizing that I keep our crow friend waiting needlessly, I'll close by stating that the spot he found was centered by my claws and water entered half an hour since and losing not a moment now is oozing through the sand. And now for falling from here, as I promised, sprawling. As the turtle spoke, she dropped backwards, and Barango, raging, spread his wings in flight engaging, and the reptiles crawled and hopped, here and there and everywhere. And fast forming, sang high falls, downing forest cries and calls. Up and over and out I go, never to come back more. The sky above and the rocks below and the wide, wide world before. Never to dream like an idle stream with eyes that are shut half tight, but to gild by day the sun's bright ray and to silver the moon by night. Never to cry or to sob or sigh, but to laugh and to sing and shout. Never to dread what lies hidden ahead but to scoff at the specter doubt. Never to scold or to haggle and hold to a course that is out of the main, but to bore to the line, be it never so fine, when the pathway of duty is plain. Never to rant or to mumble and cant, but to speak from a true heart free. Never to ape thought or manner or shape, but to be what was meant to be me. I go, I go, 
and as swift I flow along the springtown shore. To them that drink, there at my brink, the best of nature's store. Straight limbs, strong hands, and eyes to see the comedy of life, and hearts to feel its tragedy, and souls to welcome strife. I will give as I live, and then on and on to the Ottawa and to the sea, from the womb to the tomb, through glory and gloom, on, on to my destiny. And there you have it, the world premiere of Thomas G. Devine's Madawaska, published in 1912 in Boston, and to our knowledge, never before performed publicly. We hope you enjoyed it, and may you never think of the Madawaska again as you did before. Tonight's show was performed by Lynn Stewart and Carol and Brian Peterson, along with myself, Leslie Betts. The show was produced by Barry Conway. From all of us here, we wish you good night and good luck.